Hello and welcome back to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. This is episode 11 and today we are going to be talking about nutrition for constipation. For me, um, I've been a dietitian for like five years now and for the first three or four years, I never had any clients with serious issues of this. Like it was always an easy fix. Like we'd always just use some basic advice and it'll always get solved. And then one client came to me with like hectic issues as in like her normal when she wasn't constipated was like every three days. And she was a bikini athlete as well who obviously really cared about how she looked and like being bloated and stuff like that obviously made her very uncomfortable. And during this phase, her average turned to every seven to 10 days. And I was like... God damn, I don't want anyone to live like this. Like, this is an issue. Um, the standard advice obviously wasn't working. She was getting medical care and stuff like that for it as well, as you would need. And I was like, we seriously need to do a little bit more than this. And I went really deep down the rabbit hole of trying to find stuff for nutrition and constipation. And when you look at studies, it's surprising how little stuff really moves the needle. Like, there's not like a lot of the common advice, which we'll talk through a little bit later doesn't really move the needle that much like sometimes it helps but it's like if we're measuring things like how frequently does this person go to the toilet we want an intervention to improve that outcome and like there's even some interventions that might improve that outcome a little bit but like then they also happen to make bloating worse or like painful defecation worse and like all these other symptoms get worse even though that one outcome we care about improved a little bit so it's like it's a really really complex topic so Handing over to you, Leah, let's start with like common advice and stuff like that and we'll move from there, yeah? Yeah, no, that sounds like a good plan. Um, I definitely come across constipation-specific IBS or constipation in general a lot in in clinic. Um, even though I work with predominantly vegans who eat a lot of fibre, you know, I still see it. So um, there's definitely a few things we can go over today that really do move the needle from a constipation perspective. But I will always start in the same place for every single person. And that is the three F's, fiber, fluid and fitness. Um, So really looking at is that person having adequate fiber? Most case, I work with vegans, so probably they are. Um, Maybe they even are having a little too much in that case, like we've talked about previously. Um, Are they having enough fluid? You know, if you're not staying hydrated, it's really hard for your stools to have enough water in them to be able to pass easily Um, and is that person quite sedentary or are they more active so we know that sedentary people are more prone to constipation um, and just adding in things like some walking or you know getting up your steps can really assist with constipation so generally that's where I like to start but it's not necessarily the thing that's going to move the needle quite far for for most people so what do you what's like what's your next step after you check that stuff Yeah. So checking those things, obviously the first, like they're obviously really important. Like the exercise one's huge. Like I, if I get somebody who is sedentary and they have constipation, like, oh, this could be an easy win. Like if you like walking or gentle exercise, like yoga and stuff like that. The trick is like, as you said, like what happens if you get somebody who has a good fiber intake and also on that topic, actually the research shows that people who have constipation on average self-report having similar fiber intakes to those who don't have constipation. So just chucking out the standard advice of anybody you hear has constipation being like, oh, you should have more fiber. Like they're already likely to be doing similar things anyway. Um, what if they drink enough water? And what if they already exercise? Like, as I said, that person was a bikini athlete. Like they're, they're already training consistently and stuff like that. And like I've had a lot of people in that space since then. So like what are some stuff that moves the needle? Um, looking deep through the research, three things massively stood out to me in terms of 
really helping things. The first one, which not a lot of people talk about, but is relevant is kiwi fruit. So the recommendation is two serves of kiwi fruit per day. And the reason why this works is because of an enzyme called actinidin, which basically just stimulates the bowels. As I said, I care about outcomes. So the next step really is like, well, how much does that improve things by? In terms of frequency, improves it by 45% on average. That's moving the needle. Like that's a significant improvement. And it also, one of the other things I care about is it reduces all other symptoms like gas and bloating and all those other things, which is really, really important because touching on that fiber topic, when you look at the research on insoluble fiber, that is very hit and miss. Like increasing insoluble fiber, sometimes it makes all symptoms worse. Sometimes it improves frequency, but makes all the other symptoms worse. So it's like we're really looking for things that make all the symptoms better. And kiwi fruit falls into that category. The other thing to touch on very briefly is it also happens to be low FODMAP. Everything I'm going to mention here is going to be low FODMAP because there's other options. Like there is people talk about like pear juice and prune juice and all those other options, but they're high in sorbitol as well. So it's like if, if sorbitol is playing a role in gas production and stuff like that, we might not want to go down that route. So this is more of a surefire thing. The next thing, I, I don't use this as much, but I am pretty big on it, is linseed slash flaxseed. It's my understanding that they're actually the same thing. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I think they are the same thing. They are, yeah. <laughs> they are the same thing. Good. Thanks for the confirmation. Um, and the recommendation is about 10 to 20 grams of these per day. I really do recommend starting low and building up. That's actually a good recommendation with anything fiber-related to start off with as well. You do not want a dramatic increase really quickly because that could make symptoms worse. Um, Once again, it improves all symptoms, including frequency and everything else. The mechanism is kind of hard to interpret. It seems to mostly just be based on the soluble fiber content. And if it's that simple, it's interesting why linseed slash flaxseed stands out so much, but it makes sense. And the other thing to be aware of is that the benefits accrue over time. Like kiwi fruit, because of that enzyme, usually you'll notice benefits within at least a couple of days, like or at most a couple of days, sorry. Linseed and flaxseed, like they, if you put together a study and you're measuring things over a one month time frame, at day 30, symptoms are still improving. So it's still, it's a long-term thing. And then the last tip I've got that really moves the needle, this is the most boring one because like everyone like probably already assumes this. But nobody actually tries it. Metamucil or psyllium husk, which is what metamucil is based on, both of them, it's the same thing. So 10 grams of psyllium husk per day improves frequency by an average of 64%. That's massively moving the needle. Improves all other symptoms as well, even more than kiwi fruit and stuff like that as well. That is such a huge thing. And like to share a story that I think is relevant for this because it is boring advice, but like to share a story on this, I saw a dietitian, I think she was an RD in the USA, tell a story about how she went to see a doctor about her constipation. And she wanted medication because she's like, she's smart, she knows nutrition, and she's like, she couldn't sort it out herself. So she's like, I need medication. And the doctor was like, try Metamucil and then come back to me. She was really frustrated by that. Like she saw it as like a lack of care. (laughs) And... She noticed no improvements in symptoms. She didn't actually try the Metamucil, but she noticed no improvements in symptoms. And she was really frustrated. So she went back to her doctor and she like was like, I'm going to ask for medication this time. I'm really going to ask for medication this time. And the doctor just like brushed it off again. He's like, did you try Metamucil? And she was really sheepish. And she was like, no, I didn't try it. And he's like, I'm not giving you anything until you try it. And she tried it and it solved her constipation. <laughs> 
And the whole point of that is just to be like, yeah, it is obvious, but you should still try it. Like You should still try that first before moving on to other stuff. 100%. And I think for, for me, a lot of the reason why that's not the first thing I recommend to clients is because of that reaction is like, oh, come on, like, don't give me the, the oldest trick in the book. Like I want something new. Yeah. So I, I personally tend to go for the, the kiwi fruit or flax is like, you know, a good option that I think someone would be interested in. But yeah, if something, you know, there's a reason why it is like the standard or or why it's like the, the classic option is because it, it does work a lot of the time. So, you know, why not give it a go? Um, I suppose moving on to the things that are, I suppose I'd, le- I'd recommend less commonly or more so for people with like really chronic severe constipation. There's a couple of options that I, I could potentially use there. Um, the first one is magnesium. Um, so it's definitely not a, a long-term option, um, but we do know that having over 300 milligrams of magnesium citrate can have this kind of laxative effect. So it basically, it draws water into the stool, making it easier to pass. So, you know, if you've, if someone's really, you know, been constipated for quite a while and they've done the flaxseed stuff and, you know, it's, it's really not helping and they do need to kind of just move that bowel movement through, um, then going for something like magnesium citrate could be a good option. Um, but again, it's not something you'll want to be taking all the time. It's not a daily solution, um, but can be used as, you know, one-off when things are getting a bit severe and uncomfortable. Um, one that I do tend to use quite frequently as well, though, is stool softeners for when things are quite chronic and severe. Um, so stool softeners are often confused with laxatives, but they are very different. So you can get stool softeners that are with laxatives, and that is a really common thing to kind of find in the pharmacy when you are seeking a laxative, um, but they are different. So laxatives are a more of that stimulating effect on the bowel I mean, should not be used long term, um, whereas stool softeners actually draw a, use that osmotic effect to draw water into the stool, making it easier to pass. And for the most part, you can actually use stool softeners ongoing without any you know, negative consequences to, to gut health or, or bowel movements um, later on. So if you use laxatives long-term, obviously that, that kind of can create this effect of like a lazy lazy gut or lazy bowel um, where you then rely on those laxatives for ongoing treatment of your constipation. Stool softeners are not like that. Um, there's definitely a, a couple of different kinds of stool softeners that you can get. The first one I ever come across was Coloxal, which is... Um, docusate sodium um so it's basically it is considered like safe for long-term um use but it's not my preference because it doesn't tend to have quite as good of an effect as another kind of stool softener which i know is like the brand name osmolax that's like in australia that's what we tend to have access to um but it's polyethylene glycol um, and research shows that long-term use is, is, again, safe, but it is really effective for chronic constipation. Um, and it's not going to be that really explosive, sudden uh, bowel movement you get from laxatives. It's that you take it for a few days and then eventually it does have an effect. And then you can take it ongoing um, to prevent constipation from occurring in the first place. Uh, a huge place where I will use stool softeners is if um, we've worked out that someone's uh, constipation is related to things like mental health or stress, things that are not easy to fix. So when we can't really get to the core root of that problem right away, these can be a good interim uh, solution for sure. Have you ever used 
still softeners in practice? So I've I've only used it for people doing weight cuts. Like if they've yeah. had a history of constipation during a weight cut, which is obviously not ideal when you're trying to make weight, then yes, I've used it for that. I haven't used it for other people. But as an example that comes to my mind, and magnesium citrate also comes into this kind of category as well, either of these two options would work, um, is if you are having somebody slowly increase their fibre intake or you're trying to use any strategy that involves anything that involves what they call adding bulk to the stool due to fibre, you probably want to clear out what's in there to start off with. Otherwise, you might be making the problem worse. So, like, it's very clear that, like, a treatment like that would make a lot of sense for somebody who's had ongoing issues for quite some time and then not starting from a good baseline. It kind of allows almost like a bit of a reset, even okay. if it isn't related to mental health and stuff like that, even if it is an easy fix. Yep. But, like, it makes sense to start with something like this too. Yeah, so if you have that build-up already there, you know adding flax seed onto that and extra fibre could just be doubling up on the problem. So you do need to, at some point, maybe clear that out before starting on those, I guess, less less medication-like um, options for sure. Um, another thing we, we tend to look at is FODMAPs. So we've so far done a couple of podcasts on FODMAPs in general. We've talked about how it is really effective for IBS where the symptom is predominantly diarrhea. Um, but there are definitely cases where it can help for um, IBS constipation. Uh, so FODMAPs can lead to a buildup of gas in, in the gut, um, and that can actually compact the stool, making it harder to pass. So sometimes, you know, going on a, a lower FODMAP diet and trialing that um, can have uh, an effect on, on someone's constipation. It's just that you know, its effectiveness is definitely lower for constipation than it is diarrhea, yet it's still something that's in that realm and we will generally think about, but not the first thing I tend to jump to when I'm thinking constipation. Yeah, for sure. And other stuff that I guess I'd add overall is that it makes sense to play around with your amount of fibre. Like there have been some studies that have shown that decreasing fibre helped with constipation. It's not my go-to, but it's like if you've tried one approach for ages and you're still having issues could be worth playing around with another one. Like, whatever you try and do, be consistent with it for a decent period of time to see if it matters, but you can play around with the other approach. At the other end of the spectrum, though, like, it does make sense to just try and, quote-unquote, improve overall gut health, focus on getting these good prebiotic fibres in through food, having that greater than 30 different plant-based foods per week that I always talk about coming in, and just trying to build a good overall gut microbiota. And something that I was thinking about the other day, so I, I've read this book called fiber fueled i don't know how to say old mate's name dr b is what he goes with he's like the gut health md or something on instagram i i can't vouch for the book there's a lot of stuff in there that like they're like i can't fully vouch for like there's a few times where he's like oh anytime somebody's got a gut health condition i just completely cut dairy that's my first move like little things like that i'm like uh that's probably not my first move but whatever but like one of the good points that he made is he's he's always encouraging obviously fiber the name of the title but like beyond that he's always encouraging diversity of fiber and going back to one of the points i said earlier I often will use Metamucil or psyllium husk with a client or something like that in, in that kind of position and just use that. One of the points he made is for himself, he has Metamucil one morning and then he has Benefiber, which is like based on wheat dextrin another morning. And then like he has different fiber kind of supplements every morning. So he has five different fiber supplements and that's even diversity of those types of fiber rather than just hammering this one thing. And it's like, does that really matter? Will that lead to better outcomes? I can't say that it's going to. It's a really interesting perspective that I'm always like aim for th greater than 30 different plant-based foods per week. But it's like, well, we know Benefiber gets pretty much the exact same results as Metamucil. It's very similar, but it's a different source of fiber. 
there's probably no downside to doing it and there could be upside as well. Yeah, totally. Um, I suppose uh, the last thing to touch on, is there anything else that you feel really moves the needle in constipation? Uh, nothing really comes to my mind. Obviously, stress management comes into play. Something I, I think about a little bit in terms of exercise as well is that uh, often the people I see who exercise a lot and have constipation are like pretty heavy resistance trainers or like elite, like not elite, but like athletes, like people who are not doing gentle exercise. They're doing pretty aggressive exercise. And it seems to be a lot of the benefit for constipation and stuff like that comes from that gentle exercise, whether it's yoga, whether it's walking, whether it's whatever. Like that's just a common theme I see. I don't know if that matters, but it is something that stands out. Yeah, and I, another thing would be, I guess, the good old-fashioned prune juice. Yeah. So that's a, a common one that I know, like, my grandparents use. Um, I tend to avoid any, I suppose, a high FODMAP um, options when it comes to IBS or, like, constipation-specific um, treatment. Uh, but it's something that's been used for so it's long. It's so effective, yeah. And it can be quite effective. Uh I suppose, like, would it be best to use that in a time where you are trying to just clear yourself out before moving on to a, a more long-term solution? Do you use it at all? So I actually don't use it with any of my clients, but, like, I see Meredith and I see I guess, some other dietitians use it. And, like, yeah. I think it's it's just one of those things to, like, try out. Like, if you try it out and it works for you, like, why would you worry about, like, I don't know, like, if it works, just use it. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Cool. Okay. Well, that wraps things up for episode 11. Um, If you have been enjoying this and you happen to use iTunes, which according to the statistics is 76% of people who listen to this, could you please give us a review that has not been that many reviews and we would really, really, really appreciate it if you could do that. Thank you. Thank you.